0: From the living room of a small apartment in central West Virginia, it's time for the Bang Your Head Podcast. And here's your host, Jake Simmers. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into this week's edition of the Bang Your Head Podcast. You know what to do. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Give me a, a subscribe and a rating and all the crazy podcast shenanigans. And if you are in a band, if you're a musician, you want to get your music spotlighted, or if you know anybody who might want to be a guest here on the show, tell them to reach out, Twitter and Instagram at jmc 1994 the email byhpodcast at gmail.com. So today we have part two of my sit down with video producer. I was almost called him a videographer, but video producer, I guess he is a videographer, Uh Started. He started his own business, guys. That was the kind of the theme from last week's episode. He started his own sort of um, the 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 synonym his own his own business essentially, running his own business. Christian Golick was was the guest on the Bangerhead podcast last week. Last week you learned about him and his story, and this week you are going to learn about the most influential album in his life. Before we do get started with that, though, I do want to give another shout out too observe the 93rd their independent song of the week and at the time I'm uh, I'm recording this some big news coming out of the observe the 93rd camp they uh, they recently announced that they signed with big noise a music firm who according to their statement the on the on the band's facebook page and all their social media platforms uh I'm reading it, reading it verbatim here it says that they have signed with the award winning, as I get a text message, they have signed with the award winning music firm Big Noise, who will be providing who, who will be providing us with career direction and strategy, publicity, and music industry outreach. Big Noise has worked with Garrety for this list, Christina Aguilera, The Beach Boys, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Chicago, Catherine McPhee, and Dion Warwick. They say, in part, quote, we're looking forward to sharing with you all the exciting developments that happen, with all the exciting developments as they happen over the next month. Stay tuned. You can stay tuned for their latest single, uh, one of their latest singles. First of all, huge congratulations to Derek and Dylan, Observe the 93rd, for this big step. Been following their work since around 2012, 2013, when I first met, uh, at the time they were a four-piece. It was Derek Dillon, uh, former bassist Tyler Davis, and keyboardist uh, Elliot Hertzler. And uh, they've whittled it down. It's just the two, the two now, Derek and Dylan. But I'm really stoked to see what they do going forward. So congratulations, guys. We're gonna spotlight them. Uh, maybe not independent for so much longer But they are at least right now So uh, enjoy the independent song of the week my friends And then we'll get into the second part Of my sit down with Christian Gallick This is Observe the 93rd And this song is called Begin
1: We begin to feel the weight of this journey Our bodies given
0: not surrendering to the deep
1: Don't you dare stop now
0: to me about some of the artists, bands that growing up really, uh, really made an impact on you.
1: Yeah. So growing up, like when I was, we sized, you know, uh, elementary school, middle school, I actually didn't grow up with mainstream music. I grew up with film scores, uh, very. Like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, Star Wars, um, which, I mean, are all fantastic tracks, you know, <laughs> they, they, they're, you know, they're classics now. Um, but that was. I didn't grow up with any. Pop culture, really, it wasn't until high school that I actually played the game Guitar Hero, Guitar Hero 3 uh, Warriors of Rock. So (laughs) that, that I was like introduced to all this new music and it was all rock music. And I was like, Oh, I, I I like a lot of this. This is, you know, I'm I'm finding myself banging my head a little bit. Like this is cool. Um, Cheap plug. Thank you for that. Yes. I I wanted to make sure I incorporated that. So yeah. Guitar hero really like kind of opened my mind up to this new genre of music and um, one band in particular that stuck out on on Guitar Hero was uh, Metallica, which dates long before I was born, and I just love all their music. Gone. I've went I went down
0: the Metallica rabbit hole, and whew. before we get into that influential album, I'm curious about this since you said you were you were attracted to to film scores. Was it was it by choice was it you know your your was it was it a case where your parents were maybe steering you away from from pop music like what what was what kind of went into that decision early on to to kind of stick towards um towards film scores
1: i don't know i mean i my parents definitely didn't they didn't like keep pop culture music from me they just also didn't dangle it in front of my face Like they didn't play it at home. The really the only the only idea I had of of pop culture music was my older sister because she's six years older than me. She would listen to, I I, I mean, you know, Backstreet Boys and Sync. You know, that was her her jam. And I only really like watched her enjoy this music and. I mean, she was also in her teens, so she was kind of bratty about it. And I was kind of like, I was like, huh, so that music makes you bratty and mom and dad don't like bratty, so I'm not going to listen to that. Like, it was it was very rudimentary, that line of thinking, but I kind of, in a way, was kind of repulsed uh, or repelled f- by that music. Film scores... Um, I don't know, something I recognized I loved watching movies. I loved, which you know <laughs> it's what I do now. Um I love watching movies and that music was obviously in my head from the movie. So when I got the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack on CD, put it in my Walkman, that and that and you only had one CD to listen to on the bus. I didn't have multiple CDs, so it was just... You know, pop it in, hit play, and that's it.
0: Favorite movie and favorite movie score or soundtrack?
1: (laughs) I'm probably going to have to say The Dark Knight by Christopher Nolan. With the film score, uh, I don't... mm, I love Hans Zimmer's work. I'm not going to say it's The Dark Knight, but... Interstellar by Hans Zimmer was phenomenal. Interstellar. That's also just, yeah. a,
0: that's also just a fantastic film. Interstellar, I, I, yeah. Film, fantastic.
1: Yeah, Christopher Nolan, Hans Zimmer, very good director-composer combo.
0: All right, so we've come to the point where we must discuss, Christian, your most influential album of choice. And for the first time in the history of the Bang Your Head podcast, we are reviewing a live album. And you mentioned the band earlier. Talk about this live album by this band and why is it and why it is your most influential album.
1: <laughs> well, in in the words of this band's lead vocalist, James Hetfield. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's uh so Metallica. Fair enough. Fair enough.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Metallica has uh has always been near and dear to my heart. Um, and the most influential album that I feel, uh, you know, kind of resonates with me is Metallica's w- one of Metallica's live albums from 1993, uh, which it's literally called live ish binge and purge, which I really don't like the title of that album. I'll be very, very clear about that. Um, you know, eating disorders, all that. Not not, not my cup of tea. Um, but I also understand that it's a heavy metal
0: band from the 80s. So what else are they going to name it, right? Over the course of this hour, you have heard Christian and I talk about his origin story, what led him to the greatest school in the state system, Cuttstown University, and the music that has inspired him. And now you're going to hear us talk about this live album from Metallica, Live Ish, Binge, and Purge. Before you hear Christian and I discuss it, allow me to provide you with a little bit of background information. Live Sh**, A sh- Binge and Purge is the first live album released by thrash metal legends Metallica. The album was released as part of a box set on November 23rd, 1993 on Elektra Records. In the studio, Metallica had built their name off of the back of five celebrated albums. 1983's Kill Em All, 1984's Ride the Lightning, 1986's Master of Puppets, 1988's Injustice for All, and 1991's self-titled album. Commonly referred to as the Black Album, Metallica became the group's break into the mainstream, featuring classics such as Enter Sandman, Sad But True, Wherever I May Roam, The Unforgiven, and Nothing Else Matters. The live-ish Binge and Purge box set also featured a VHS concert from a two-night stay at the San Diego Sports Arena in early 1992, as well as a second show from the Seattle Coliseum recorded in 1989. The audio CD portion of the box set was recorded over five shows at the Palacio de los Deportes Arena in Mexico City in late February and early March 1993. Upon its release, Live ish Binge & Purge peaked at number 26 on the Billboard 200 charts and was certified 15 times platinum in the US and gold in Germany. Following its release, Metallica would go on to not only continue a run of successful studio albums, but also in a live capacity. These albums include 1999 celebrated s with the performance of The Call of Cthulhu winning a 2001 Grammy Award for Best Rock Instrumental Performance, 2009's Orgullo, Pasión y Gloria, Tres Noches en la Ciudad de México, 2010's Six Feet Down Under, The Big Four Live from Sofia, Bulgaria, Six Feet Down Under Part 2, and Live at Grimey's, 2019's Helping Hands, live and acoustic at the Masonic, and most recently, three 2020 releases. Live in Chile and live in Argentina were released specifically to those countries, while sm 2 received a worldwide release on August 28th of last year. Okay, so we have a 24-track, three-disc live album that's really, you do the research, it's part of a bigger just box set that in total, if, if Wikipedia is to be believed, which of course Wikipedia is the home of all of the world's information and nowhere else. Don't let anyone tell you different. Um, the entire box set is over eight and a half hours. That is an entire, I'll be perfectly blunt as an entire fucking work day. I don't know if I could sit there for eight and a half hours watching nothing but Metallica. It would be like, it would be like the scene in, uh, in a, in a clockwork orange, when when they when they strap Alex to the chair and they peel his eyes open and he's watching all the images and he's like, "Oh my god, ah, holy shit, ah. Yeah, there. I don't think I've ever
1: listened to this album, like completely, track one to twenty
0: four. It's 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 a doozy. It is, and we start off with the and you got to figure the time frame that we're talking about. This album was recorded in the like February March of ninety three in Mexico City, so we're talking about two years after the release of the Black album, which, of course, the Black album one of the biggest and most influential metal albums of all time. People will say Metallica will ha- did sell out, and to a certain extent, I could say for certain songs that they do, and we'll touch on those as we go on here. Um, but of course, they 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 started off as they always do, as they started off nearly every concert. For nearly forty years now, um, first the the wonderfully conducted ecstasy of gold, uh, which I did not realize immediately. The first thing that came into my head was that it was the music from the Modello beer uh, <laughs> That's what I thought of initially, and I didn't realize it was from um, it was a Clint Eastwood movie. I, I can't remember. What it what it is now? off the top of might was it the good, the good, the bad, and the ugly? Uh, I don't I know. I don't know. I can't remember. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I like the this this sort of. I, I don't have much in the way of notes outside of literally that, but also just there was this. You had of course had the slow build up. It really really bigs up. There was just this big boom, like the the pyro in the in the stadium went off. That sounded really big. And then I mean, Kirk Hammett doing his solo. I mean, it's Kirk Hammett. Hammett. He's
1: yeah, I, I I love Kirk Hammett's work and yeah, I mean with with the first track. To be honest, I really don't listen to the first track very very much. Like, I love Enter Sandman, I love I love hearing the Ecstasy of Gold intro and the crowd roaring, but to me Enter Sandman, it's just not it's not an opener. It's a great song. It's not an opening song, in my opinion, and it works. I mean, it works, but I, I don't. It's not my favorite opener from all their live shows.
0: My personal opening track would come later in this album, which we'll discuss as we go on. Okay. Uh, track number two is uh, a great jam off the ride the lightning album, "Creeping Death." Uh, a lot of, a lot of what James has in terms of his like interaction with the crowd, I just have in all caps, just cause just so I could remember that. Oh yeah. He actually said this to people. So like right, right towards the beginning of the track, he just yells, Oh yeah, we're ready. And, and, <laughs> uh, you know, he, I like sort of that, um, there was sort of like a long duration that the band had, like they play the, the opening, you know, buildup of, of the riff. And then all of a sudden they stop for like 10 yeah. seconds. Yeah. 10 seconds and then they go back into like the main riff. I thought that sounded really really cool. Um there was a little bit of a bass breakdown going into the 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 die crowd chant. Yeah, and yeah. when I compared it to a different Metallica song, I looked at a song like My Apocalypse off of Death Magnetic. I don't know why that that song sort of that the 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 rhythm of everything there sort of got into my head. I thought I heard Jason Newsted singing in the song.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Jason Newstead sings a lot in this live album. Like he, he definitely takes over. I mean, James, James Hetfield is of course the lead singer, but Jason does a lot, especially in whiplash, which we'll, we'll get to, but yeah, Jason does a lot. And I really like, I
0: really like Jason. Oh yeah. He was, I mean, I thought Jason was a great replacement. I mean, obviously the, the tragedy that came in 86 when Cliff Burton passed away. Right. Um, I'm still also mad at the band for screwing him over on the "Injustice for All" album by not having bass. Yeah, just mix the album properly and don't be a prick, James. Um, Kirk's solo at the end of this song too was just like that was that was amazing. He had so many great just like improv solos or not improv. I guess maybe maybe it's the wrong word, but I guess just freestyle yeah yeah like like what's unique about the live setting is that you know some of these songs on here yeah they just stick to the script of the studio but uh you know obviously some of these songs on here are three four times longer than their studio counterparts yeah um but like at the end of this song kirk just lets loose and it just goes to show uh why he is one of the best and most influential i would say metal guitarists ever
1: yeah yeah i mean I, I do have a lot of appreciation for Dave Mustaine's musical ability, but I think Kirk Hammett is the perfect lead guitarist for Metallica
0: by far. Up next is, I'll be completely honest, this is one of my favorite songs from Metallica's entire discog. And Harvester the Harvester of Sorrow, yeah. Uh, dude, Harvester of Sorrow. I is love it. Such, it is such, and listen, anybody who takes a dump on "Justice for All I know that album is mixed to crap. However, that is their most underrated album of all time in their discog. No ifs, buts or coconuts. That album is, I I don't even know. It was sort of a, I think at the time you had what would generally be considered as like progressive metal, you know, bands like Queens, Reich and dream theater sort of come to mind for me. Um, but that album was like the thrash metal that they built on, on their first three records turned up to turned to 12, eight with their crazy time signatures. And, and and I literally, the first note I have is my jam in all caps. Like Harvester of Sorrow is such, such a good song. Um, and then I think also James here being like, what the hell to do here? Yeah. Uh, just randomly yelling that out. Um, there was like a long delay at one point in the song and I thought I heard <laughs> yeah. him I thought I heard him sort of like build up like he was about to like Hawk-a-loogie? Yes, exactly yeah, what I Yeah have. And that's exactly yeah. Just like <laughs> I'm like, oh, yep. that's nasty. <laughs> I heard that build up and I was like, he's about to spit on people. Yep. Like, like what are you doing, pal? <laughs> like, what are you doing, James? Dude, but that's I mean I
1: uh... <laughs> I I've, I wasn't even alive. We Neither of us were alive when this album came out. So it's hard to know. But I mean, at by the early 90s, Metallica was the peak of like they were the king of metal and no one dare oppose them. So like James knew he could get away with anything.
0: next couple tracks, I don't have much in the way of notes. I'll let you speak on them if you want. Welcome Home Sanitarium. I mean, classic bop off of the Master Puppets album. And then that eventually bled into Sad But True. And literally my only note for Sad But True was, in all caps, what a bop. Because that's one of my (laughs) favorite. That's one of my, I've never heard the Black Album in full. I'll say that. Okay. I've never heard the black album in full, just because I've always considered that I think a lot of people look at the black album as like, oh my God, Metallica went mainstream. And 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 I I I agree with that to an extent. But it's not like they became a pop band. They were still very much they were still very much a metal band. They just it wasn't as much, you know, the thrash that bands like Megadeth Anthrax and Slayer, their contemporaries, were playing. It was more so in the the more of the, you know, maybe the modern metal sound at the time, you got to figure the early nineties uh, grunge was slowly starting to come in at that point, you know, never, never mind from Nirvana dropped that same year. Uh, but also maybe some of their, some of their earlier influences that maybe didn't necessarily, they weren't like punk. Basically.
1: No, no, I mean, here's the thing. And I've, I've watched interviews um, with, with Metallica, with producers and whatnot. And the thing is, they like they played Anjustice... justice they made Anjustice justice for all just to like it it was half like for cliff like just to like channel their anger and and frustration with with the death of cliff burton um like they that was their goal with Anjustice justice for all is they just want to play as hard and as fast as possible and they did it and I think and th- now this is where it's my interpretation after they did that and it was a huge success and you know great music but you can't top that apples to apples you just can't like you you physically can't play faster and harder than Anjustice for All and they don't have the anger like they 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 worked off their anger from Cliff Burton's death through through Anjustice so they didn't have it in them and they made a very smart move in my opinion, to move towards the style of black album. And it's not like they just were like, Oh, let me get a quick paycheck and, you know, make some more mainstream media. Like they put so much hard work and effort into, into black album. And this ties in with sad, but true on the studio version, James Hetfield recorded 30 identical takes of, of, of um, the rhythm guitar, 30 takes of bow, 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 just to get the heavy sound. So that wasn't all effect processing. That was him playing it 30 times in the studio in the middle of the night because he needed it to be heavier. And that's nuts. Nice. Like, yeah, so I, 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 give so much credit to Metallica for switching to the black album or switching styles when they made black album uh, and they, they remained the King. Uh, but yeah, so, so sad, but true that is that that's probably within, within live issue, binge and purge sad, but true is the first black album song that really lays on the heaviness. I kind and this is where like, I kind of just, push Enter Sandman off to the side because it's not it is not an opener song, in my opinion. So that's Sad But True listening to this track or listening to this album. I love I love hearing Sad But True in this lineup being number five. It brings us to, you know, their latest album at the time. So, yeah, I Sad But True is. Since there's so many
0: tracks, it's probably in my top 10. Top 10 (laughs) tracks out of 24. Uh, So the next couple of tracks kind of continue the Black Album stretch that they had early on you have first you have of wolf and man which i for for so long i had had that vocal melody and rhythm stuck in my head and i was trying to remember what song is it here it is of wolf and man the and and that was i was like it finally hit me i was like oh my god this is it um the loud outro or the long outro excuse me at the end of the song kirk just messing around with with feedback and and the kind of messy solos was kind of dope. Uh that led into the Unforgiven. I don't mind the Unforgiven. It's a decent song. It's a jam when when the when it gets heavy about, you know, halfway, 60% of the way through. I did like that sort of acoustic uh noodling that James was doing before before the the opening riff of that song truly kicked in.
1: And and at this point, track number 7, we need it, something like the Unforgiven. We need it something because I mean, Sanitarium, Welcome Home Sanitarium, that's a bit of a lighter track in the beginning, but the rest of them are just heavy. So this was great. This was a great to like breathe because then transitioning into the Justice Medley, which is probably my favorite, probably my favorite um, song in in the album. I also drum, I'm a drummer. I love drumming to the justice medley. Like I have all nine minutes and 38 seconds memorized to the T all four songs mashed up into one. Oh, so great.
0: Fellow drummer and fellow editor. Welcome to the fraternity pal. Um, so speaking of that justice medley, buddy, you just, you just, you just made my heart grow. 10 sizes <laughs> this day. Um, so, Okay like I mentioned earlier, and justice is a great album and mix it a little better. It would be in the higher ep- echelon of great studio albums from Metallica. They combined, I believe it was eye of the beholder, the title track blackened. And there's one more track that is escaping me that they, the, was it the freight the... ends of sanity? Yeah. And then plus and justice for all the song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what I love too, was that it is, it is, I think the actual song itself outside of the minute intro on the track is probably like eight, eight and a half minutes. And a large portion of that was dedicated to the title track and justice for all, yes. which I loved because along with harvester of sorrow, I'll be honest. I think from hearing one played way too much from playing guitar hero three entirely too much as yeah. a middle schooler. I'm, I'm really, that is like my burnt out song on Justice for all the same way that maybe Enter Sandman is on the Black album. And like my favorite cuts off of And Justice for All are the title track, Harvester of Sorrow, uh, and I mean some other ones you could throw in there, maybe Eye of the Beholder. Uh, but certainly, certainly the title track and Harvester of Sorrow. And I love that they dedicated uh a lot of time of this medley to uh to And Justice for All, the title track. It was, it was, I mean. Thank you. Thank you, boys. That was that was that was a great moment.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I I do like how they So they started with Eye of the Beholder, the intro to Eye of the Beholder for the beginning of the medley, which is great. And dun-nan, 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 dun-nan-nan, dun-nan-nan-nan, dun-nan-nan-nan, just like building the tension. Um, but then transitioning into Blackened was great because that's Black Blackened is that's up there in the Justice for All album. That's 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 up there in one of my favorites. Um, but just like the pure raw energy of Blackened, just and the drums, just Lars Ulrich destroying the drum set. It's like, and he's just nonstop. He's he's the Energizer buddy on steroids, with that. Like I I just get so hyped and so like. So I I've sometimes listened to this like as I'm going to bed and I'm like. <laughs> now I'm now I'm I'm wired.
0: So the final track of disc one, because remember this is a three disc album, people. Jesus, uh, is the is the the solos portion, which is really just an eighteen minute tr- track of Jason Newstead and Kirk Hammett screwing around on their bass and their drums. Now I do actually have a couple of notes. Um, first of all, James sang at the very beginning of the track as like the song is sort of. A song as the as the music He's is building up track. sort of but I just loved him where he uh, he said Hail Satan if you please yeah. that, made me, <laughs> that made me that made me laugh. I called the bass at certain points saucy. Uh yeah bit, it is a saucy. Bit, a, a little bit funky. Bow, uh, bow, so, bow, 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 bow. Oh yeah I love it. There were some really cool effects and and what it reminded me of from a band I actually haven't heard much from in, in recent years, uh, there was a band from Iowa called Holy White Hounds. They released a record a few years back called I think it was called Sparkle Sparkle, and there were so, several songs on it that had this sort of just grimy uh, bass lines that they would add trippy effects to, and that's what I, like that was sort of what I got back to from hearing certain bass sections during this solo portion. And last but certainly not least. Guys, Christian, bruh, they played a little bit of Led Zeppelin's Dazed and Confused. And... Ah, I love that <laughs> song! Dazed and Confused, man, is like... I mean, first of all, I mean, it was written for people who were dazed and confused. I get it. Uh, I I sat in an office just listening to this, just being like, ah, my God. And then, like, I'm used to, like, this, this thrash... And this just heavy metal, and then all of a sudden, I just hear, and I hear "Dazed and Confused," and then in my head, I'm pretending to sing like Robert Plant, and I make sure that my door is shut, and I just belt out "Dazed and Confused," and I just like, ah, that was that was a cool moment. That was such a cool moment. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I mean, I will admit, the
1: solos is a track that I've skipped over quite a few times. I, I do, I. I actually listen more to the bass, the bass solos more than the guitar solos. Um, Because I I just I just really like the expression that Jason Newstead puts into the bass solo. And you also don't hear a bass solo very often. You hear a guitar solo every single song, a bass solo. It's, you know, well, we'll we'll hear it in a few tracks.
0: (laughs) Uh, The next couple tracks, I'm going to kind of combine into one entry here Uh, through the never was this was actually the first time I ever heard this song? Because again, not really ever listening to the Black Album outside of the singles. Um, I I did love the intro to the to that song. I thought it was uh, it was very fast, very throttling, and and it was it was short and concise. And short and concise yeah. is typically something that you don't associate with Metallica, just because they typically have these long five, six, seven, eight minute epics so so that was it was a nice change of pace uh that transitioned into for whom the bell tolls there was a bit of echoey effects from James end on the verse and Kirk's solo at the end of the song slapped it was amazing yeah yeah and and then fade to black I mean it was fade to black nothing special with it it sounded like you were listening to ride the lightning and you're listening to the song yeah um, I didn't I didn't have much for it, but I mean, hey, that's, it's not a knock on Fade to Black. Fade to no, fade.
1: no, it's a great song. I I agree with you. It's it's nice to listen to. In this set list, it's great because again, you have so many heavy, fast paced tracks. That getting, I mean, uh, what four minutes of like nice acoustical fade to black, and th- I mean then then it gets a little more heavy, but. Yeah, no, fades black. It's 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 nice. It's not the most listened to on my end, but you know, it's there.
0: Up next, one of their most celebrated tracks off of one of their most celebrated albums, Master of Puppets. What so what initially hooked me in, just cause I was curious, how are they gonna do it? Like looking at the length of the track on Spotify, it was only four like four and a half minutes. And I was like, wait a minute. The studio version is eight and a half, so they're chopping off and I and, and what I suspected, you know, ended up coming to um, ended up coming true. They only played the first two verses and cut it off at the, you know, the deep. The master, right, master, right, master. They cut it off there. Uh, I loved the bleed into the next song, which was arguably my favorite, one of my favorite songs off of Kill Kill 'em All, Seek and Destroy. So literally, I have I have the parallel, the, the, the opposite of what I had from Master Puppets. So for Master Puppets, I said a shortened version is a strange twist. For seek and destroy i said a long version is a strange twist because that song on the studio album is like six and a half seven minutes something yeah like. yeah on here it's 18 like what are we doing um
1: oh so- and, and you think it's gonna end too it's like within the first five minutes you're like okay yeah. you know we're pretty much they went through three verses all right well you know we're, we're getting towards the end and then it just goes into like a freestyle and then you know 15 minutes later whoa <laughs>
0: So first of all this was this was another song where I heard uh Jason doing some more some more vocals. I heard that I think in the first verse of the song. I started I was listening to it here at the house and I was like, "Wait a minute. That's not James. Oh my god, Jason's doing uh doing leads again. That was pretty sick. Um I loved the breakdown that they, you know, sort of mess around on stage during yeah, yeah. during the solos. Jason had an incredible uh an incredible bass solo during this during this song, the the f- <laughs> I loved. I think it was probably about two thirds of the way in, so that's twelve minutes. Geez, yeah, yeah. Uh, where where you know James is trying to get the crowd into it, so he just keeps saying like, you know, he does like he searching, searching, no. and then he he'll, he'll he'll hold the mic down to fans. the <laughs> <And> Yeah, <laughs> I just loved that so much, and I there was a, there was a moment where I guess. He was done with that, but then like he was just like talking to a fan like who was who was out in the crowd, and you just hear him go, "Cheer up, f- <laughs> and- what the f uh, <laughs> you want?" <laughs> <laughs> the interactions, like I gotta remember that this is almost thirty years ago, so yeah. the band were like late twenties, early thirties, something like that, like like a little older than what we are now. Yeah. So like all the piss and vinegar of just like like. Like yeah, they were in their 30s, but I mean, they're musicians. They're gonna they're gonna mess around and 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 do oh, whatever. But yeah. it was just funny hearing that all of that crazy interaction. I laughed so much.
1: Yeah, dude. I mean, it's and it's a very stark contrast to now. Their live albums now are very. I mean, it's still Metallica, but it's very family friendly. You know that you still got the cursing, but it's it's very like nice messages. You know, thanks for being with us <laughs> on on you know live this. They're just like fuck
0: you. <laughs> so the other thing I noticed throughout this was that you know you mentioned you hear some of the later live albums and live performances, and you know, as the band gets older, they decide to. This, my inner music theory nerd is going to geek out for a second, but um, they'll change the tuning, they'll change uh, the pitch of, of of everything to better fit, especially James as he pushes 60 now. Jeez. Uh, you know, he has to, you know, he couldn't play to me at least. I and he's played it this way now for what, 15, probably 15-20 years at this point where he doesn't play see like a song like Seek and Destroy in the same key or the same tuning that he did on Kill 'em All. Like he played on this album which was 10 years after Kill 'em All was released. He plays it I think down a full step and you know better which i actually like the newer versions of the older songs uh again speaking as an inner music theory geek the the key of e is one of my least favorite keys in music uh like i said you're going to get music theory nerdiness right here on the band podcast I love it. but um i like like the newer versions of the older songs because it's in slightly different step down tuning so hearing all these songs in the key they were meant to be in was something 't it, it wasn't bad by any stretch it was just like oh wow like it's, it's, it's different it's hundred percent hundred percent so uh, the next couple tracks again not really much but we finished disc two with whiplash off of kill them all. The only really note I had for that was I was just I was a fan of James interacting with the crowd again I thought that was just a continuant continuance on uh, of what he did on Seek and destroy. So that ended disc two, and then disc three opened up with "Nothing Else Matters," and um, I'm gonna make a controversial statement. Okay. "Nothing Else Matters" is my least favorite Metallica song. It is ironic because whenever that song comes on the radio, I will sit there, and it's it's a catchy song. I will give it. I will give that to him. It's 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 a it's a it's a beautiful ballad. I think James wrote it for his then wife. God bless you, dude. Um I'm not gonna say it sucks. There are elements the heavier section towards the end of the song is is great. Is good, I guess, if I wanna be negative, but Yeah, I mean dude, it's, it's just, just it's just it's I don't know what it is, but it's I, I could be driving down the down the road listening to the radio, and then if nothing else matters comes on, I'm like Ah, okay. Yeah. I'm just gonna, I'm just it's
1: gonna not skip. your cup of tea. That's fine.
0: It's not my cup of tea at all. Uh, whenever i may roam, that's a jam on the other hand. Yeah. Literally all I had was another jam. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, what else, what else can you say?
1: It's off the black album. I mean, pretty much every single song on the black album, uh, is fantastic. Uh, you know, some, some are obviously more popular than others, but yeah, wherever I'm in room is another another great one. I don't think there's too too much different. Like there wasn't anything different from the live version to the studio version. It's
0: just live. Uh, following that is what I described here in my notes as the most Metallica song to not be by Metallica.
1: Right, and right. That is,
0: <laughs> and that is their cover of the Diamond Head song, Am I Evil? So for those unaware, Diamond Head... Uh, a band from the UK. They came out of the new wave, a British heavy metal scene that produced bands such as Iron Maiden, Def Leppard. Uh, Judas Priest came a little before them. Um, an underrated band, and Saxon as well. Uh, Diamondhead came out of that scene. They didn't really get as much notoriety. I mean, when you're coming out of the same scene as Iron Maiden and Def Leppard, I mean, you got you got your work cut out ahead of you. So, but but hugely influential on that thrash metal scene. And as I'm listening to the intro. Uh, I I heard it and I was like bro like this I heard an interview with the band I think it was on Howard Stern and they were basically talking about how in the early 80s when they were when they would play these shows in LA they would you know they would play obscure cover songs that nobody in LA had ever heard and they would and the people at the show would just assume oh yeah this is this is a Metallica original it's like no this song is by Diamond Head you just never asked um right and right. And first of all, just randomly at one point like the build up stops and you think they're going to go into the heavy part. Oh no, they're just randomly going to start playing smoke on the water. All right. Yep. Um then they tease Enter Sandman again. All right. Uh Kirk had a filthy solo on this song. Yeah. The 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 chorus I think is iconic. I think you can make an argument that it is one of the more underrated choruses in metal just because Diamond Head is a band that, like I said, you don't really hear discussed about that often unless it is associated with Metallica. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but when the big four played in california about 10 years ago they did it was either they, california or it was it was in it might have been overseas but uh they like play, every yeah. band member came out and like yep uh the other drummers like like you had lars who was behind the kit but then you had like charlie from anthrax and Dave Lombardo from Slayer and whoever Dave the drummer Ms- in Megadeth was, Dave at the Mustaine time, was there. Like, yeah, well, like the drummers would just like walk out with snares like they were in a marching band. And, and, oh yeah, and like, oh yeah, the drummers like, right. Like it was a drum line exactly. They did the whole thing like it was a drum line, and I loved that. It was a shortened version, and I just wanted this song to be longer. Like, like I'm gonna like I I want to I think I'm gonna start listening to Diamond Head because yeah. like, like this song is so good.
1: I Oh, well, I remember I remember of course I bought Guitar Hero Metallica and and the Diamond Head version of Am I Evil was on that. So that was that was nice to play.
0: So Am I Evil transitioned into another cover which was the shortest song on the album which 85 second punk songs by Metallica. I mean I get punk I get punk was influential on them but I think I don't think they've I think their shortest studio song was off of the Black Album. Like, I've never heard this short of a Metallica song. This makes Metallica almost a grindcore band, based on the shortness of the songs. But this was their cover of the Misfits' Last Caress. I thought the music was great. Um, Lyrics? Lyrics are another story. Um, Yeah, lyrics are a little filthy. Yeah, um, I, I mean... They wouldn't pass thirty years later. No. They probably wouldn't have passed. They they probably wouldn't have passed in the immediate aftermath of of you know, early mid nineties. No, but, <laughs> but I think but I think at the time people were like, Oh, it's Metallica, so they're like, Ah oh.
1: Yeah, right. Ah, oh, they get a free pass. <laughs> like, <you're
0: laughs> like, come on. Like I I'm reading the lyrics to these songs that I've that I haven't really heard and I read like the one line. And I think you know which line I'm talking yep, about. Yep, And I'm not going to say it because nope. bad. <laughs> but when I heard it, like, I didn't have to pause the track, but I was just like, wait a minute. Did he just? Yep. <laughs> like, I know he didn't write this. Dan- Glenn Danzig wrote it. I right, get it. Right, but like But, like, Glenn, like, what are you doing, bud? <laughs> like, yeah, it's a little dark. <laughs> it is a little dark. But, a little but dark. then I. But then I got... Flashbacks to terrible jokes I heard and maybe told in middle school and early high school. So I was like,
1: "Yeah, we've
0: all, we've all been there." Yeah, yep. All been yep. There. So it was
1: it was an entertaining song. It was a good good minute and a half to bring to lead us into your favorite song.
0: <laughs> I will say I will say that this version of one that was done here was was great. I did have it as one of my standout tracks, mm-hmm. um, and, and I I. It's a 10 minute song, but the first two minutes was just the opening, like the gunfire. Like they, they always do that
1: every single live show. It's just to give them a break, which I mean, after freaking uh, 19 tracks, 19 songs, I, I understand.
0: I loved just the blistering speed that they had once they got into the back half of the song. Yeah. Before, before James did his, you know, the, the darkness imprisoning me, which then of course leads into Kirk solo. Like that was some of the f- fastest playing. I think I heard Metallica do on this album. And like, it was just like, literally like, all right, we're just going to press the gas pedal all the way to the floor. We're going to punch the, the gas pedal through the floorboard and your foot's gonna be on the ground like your bloody Fred Flintstone, and uh, see, it got me so excited. I'm using my British terminology. Um, yeah, it was. It was one. One on here was one of my favorites. Was one of my standouts. I don't hate one. I want to make that clear. I no. don't hate. Oh, I get one. it. Yeah. I just think. I just think that from the overplayed, it's just it's it's burned into my brain. But this version was killer
1: it's, it's one of Metallica's top five songs. So of course it's going to be, it's good, but it's also overplayed. Enter Sandman one, nothing else matters. Like, (laughs) you know, master of puppets. Yeah, I understand. It's a great song. And I love, I love the back half of it. I love playing the back half of it on drums. That's just ridiculously fun. And, uh, it doesn't matter what what album or what version I'm I'm playing whether it's a studio album uh live Binge engine purge SM, another live album that they like cuz they always play it obviously it's the you know top 5 um it's always a good one
0: next couple songs not much in the way so this was sort of the encore per- version of the uh, or the second encore I think maybe even of of the of the album so you start with uh, they covered the song "So What," which was done by the punk band, the was it the Anti Nowhere League uh, or something like that? Yeah, I don't know. I just I'm saw not it. sure. I just saw it on now. Now that I said it, I I, I you need gotta to, look it up. It's gonna it's gonna bother me if I don't. Uh, yeah, they're called so they're called Anti Nowhere League. Uh, the best place of information ever. Wikipedia uh, comes to tell me that they are a punk rock band out of the United Kingdom. Uh, All of their members have stage names, animal Tommy H carnage and shady Uh, street punk, hardcore punk and biker metal. And outside of a three year hiatus, they have been active since 1980. The more, you know, kids. And like I always say, sometimes, you know, enough. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. Family guy for that quote. Uh, it was. I like this. I, li- I did like this song at the beginning. Uh, they do before they start playing that song. They briefly go blues, do some bluesy things. Yeah. So uh, I think it's because I've seen too many of modern Metallica performances that I get that like, okay, they're dads. Of course, they're gonna play blues. But this is like okay. They weren't dads still, back then. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like like now it like nowadays like I could I could hear the blues influence. You know, they they did an album with Lou Reed for God's sake. but
1: Yeah, they, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, Lulu is. Uh, I don't talk
0: about that. <laughs> but but you figure ninety three, they're they're thirty year old teenagers, and and here they are, just like like oh guys, we're actually cultured musicians. Here's some blues, and I was like, okay, yeah, nice touch. Uh, I thought the cover song was 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 really good. Uh, In terms of battery, you know, I literally bat That's all I have for notes. Yeah, Uh, yeah, Battery
1: is one of my favorite closers. Like, they did a great job with that being their official closer, even though they did Encores. Yeah, Battery, just such a powerful... I mean, the whole thing is supercharged, literally, because it's Battery. But even, you know, the end is... They just push and push and push and just play so hard and so fast till the very end, until the final you know just power chord and you know Lars is slamming on the cymbals and Kirk Kirk ramps into a quick little solo and yeah Battery is always one of my favorite closers
0: the next two were two cuts off of Kill'em all. so we have the Four Horsemen not much for me in the way it notes here. I heard kind of a it might have been something with with my internet, although I did bring the track back and I heard the same thing. It almost sounded like in the recording there was there was almost like a, a skip like like if they went to edit this like, yeah like I think, later yeah. On, like they just sort of like trimmed something up and then meshed the two cuts together and it sort of like cut over what the cut over the other one. I may have been hearing things. It may have been something that, like I said, may have been something on Spotify. I'm not hundred percent sure.
1: Well, uh, well, I'll actually say, so I actually found a YouTube video of the entire concert, the video of the entire concert. And it's pretty similar, but in between, in between songs, they definitely do some cutting and even during some songs they cut out some, some stuff like James calling the audience to So they cut that out of the video. Um, so, so they're definitely like, this was not just a straight concert with only two cuts for the disc breaks. Like there was editing involved
0: that led into motor breath. It's been a while since I heard motor breath, man. I I love motor breath. That was, that was a great, that was a great track. Uh, I, literally, the only note I had here was "what a jam," which, which when I run out of the words, I think that's just right. What right. Too, it's just it's a, it's either a jam or a bop.
1: M- Motor Breath is one of those songs where, like, it's in in non Metallica fashion. It's actually just about like living life and experiencing it to the fullest of your abilities. You know, nothing about death or pain or politics. It's just, you know, don't stop for nothing, full speed or nothing. Like, it's just, I mean, it thrash metal. And I I love Kill Em All. <laughs> I love pretty much every Metallica album. But yeah, Bode is Breath is definitely up there in Kill Em All. So hearing it here, live, and faster than the studio version, It was fantastic.
0: So this album concludes with their cover of the Queen song, Stone Cold Crazy. To me, the original version off of the Queen album, Sheer Heart Attack from, I believe, 1974, is kind of the prototype for thrash. Uh, And so it makes sense. Why Metallica would cover this song? Of course, this was released as a studio version on the Garage Inc. album from, I believe, 1998, which also yep. gave us their covers of songs like "Whiskey in the Jar" and "Turn the Page." This is where you heard like a fully realized studio version of a song like "Am I Evil?" There's also a really weird Leonard Skinner to cover of the song "Tuesday's Gone," yeah. where they, where they, where they literally like Gary Gary from Leonard Skinner is on the track. Uh, Pepper Keenan from Corrosion of Conformity is on that track. It's really weird. Sorry, I got off in a tangent. No, no, anyway. no, no. I I like Garage uh, Inc.
1: But yeah, it's definitely like that. That was their most experimental album before Lulu. Oh
0: you man, know? Lulu's great. What are you talking about? Um. <clears throat> I
1: couldn't tell you. I couldn't talk to you about anything. I think I listened to thirty seconds
0: and I was like, mm, I'm yeah, gonna pass. It's like, <laughs> it's like nope. Uh, <laughs> hey, listen, the eighteen minute. I think the song is called Junior Dad. I, I haven't heard the album. I can't judge it. So I uh, just listen to Lulu. It's great. So, the, so Stone Cold Crazy. <laughs> Don't listen to Lulu. It sucks. Don't mislead
1: this audience. <laughs> listen to it if you want, but just beware. It's not like any other Metallica album. Can confirm.
0: One of my favorite covers that Metallica has in their discography. I think every cover song that they do pretty much is... It's, it's not gonna be a cover where you scratch your head and say, like, why? And it's a very fast queen song. Like, that's weird. I think you hear the name Queen, and if you just ask random Joe Schmo, name a song by Queen, of course they're gonna be like, oh my god, Bohemian Rhapsody, oh my god, we are the champion, oh my god, beep we- <laughs> Yeah. uh there's more! There's more, right. There are more albums out there than A Night at the Opera. And Sheer Heart Attack is a fair example. And Stone Cold Crazy is one of those songs. And I think the, the the first version of this song I'd ever seen was at the Freddie Mercury Tribute Concert in 91, which was an interesting time, if anybody knows the history of Metallica. That was not long after James had his arms severely burned. Yeah. After the pyro incident when when metallica was on tour with guns N' roses you had two of the biggest bands in the world promoting two of the biggest albums at that time on tour and of course the story goes james was playing the intro to fade to black flames were going up on either side of them and i guess he was standing in the general vicinity of a flame and just got engulfed in flames so for the rest of that tour he was able to do vocals while his guitar tech yeah. who actually went on to play in another underrated metal band the band metal church uh he played the rhythm played James rhythm parts for for the remainder of that tour but at the freddie mercury tribute show in 91 you had literally what i can only describe as the best all-star lineup i may have ever seen on a track where you had james hadfield on vocals you had of course, you had the rest of Queen there. So you had Brian May. Um, you had uh, the other names are escaping me. Ah, it's gonna bother me. John Deacon, and I, who? Uh, I'll look it up anyway. Uh, but you had the rest of the band as as the backing as the backing band, and then also joining on um, on guitar was Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath so you had this insane Brian Brian May, Roger Taylor, John Deacon. There we go. I feel better. Thank you, Jake. Uh, uh but you had this lineup of people play Stone Cold Crazy in front of 80,000 people at Wembley. And James sings his lyrical version so instead of like Freddie's version of of like a little water gun, it's little Tommy gun. Yeah. Which yeah. I I found I, I find funny every time I hear that cuz he that's like one of the only lyrics I think he he changes that isn't like kind of like ha ha tongue in cheek kind of deal. Stone Cold Crazy is Stone Cold Crazy is just it's just a bob. It's a it great, is. it, it is, is a great cover and I and I think it is an, it's an interesting closer. Like I yes. mentioned I mentioned earlier that you know you and I kind of agreed that Enter Sandman probably wasn't the best choice of an intro track for me. An intro track I would have chosen would have been a song like Battery personally because really I, okay yeah because I do enjoy the that slow intro that bleeds into yes
1: the rest of the song and then i think yeah
0: and then i think from this if you want to go with a closer i mean seek and destroy closes their out closes their shows a lot modern times but i mean am i evil would have been another dope track just play the full version of am i evil and cl- and close the concert fully with this, but still Stone Cold Crazy, like I'm not gonna complain. No, it's a great it's a great it's a great version. It's a great version for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. Stone Cold Crazy was a great closer. I enjoy it. I I mean I don't listen to this album. I don't think I've ever listened to this album all the way through fully without skipping a single track. So I can't say I can't I can't give like an impression of Oh, it was the best closer, you know, with a holistic feel. But I will listen to like a third of the album all the way through, you know, starting with, you know, fade to black or or, or nothing else matters, you know, that like that third disc or whatever. And yeah, after after battery, just pure pure energy and adrenaline, kicking through battery, and then I love I love four horsemen. I love playing Four Horsemen, rolling that into motor breath. It's just like you feel the adrenaline pumping. You feel it coming down. And then the fun, it's it's high energy, but it's fun. It's light, but it's heavy. All at the same time, Stone Cold Crazy Metallica version. I, it's, it's a nice closer to this concert. I'm not saying it's the best closer for every single live show.
0: But I think it's a I, I like it for this for this show. So this was the Metallica live album, live ish binge and purge. God, there's going to be a lot of editing. Uh, for me, if I had some standout tracks that I enjoyed here, "Creeping Death" on here. A Chorus Harvester of Sorrow, I'm never going to say no to that. That's a jam. Of Wolf and Man, the Injustice for All medley was fantastic as well. And then towards the back part of the album, Wherever I May Roam, Am I Evil, One, Stone Cold Crazy. I think probably the most standout tracks I've ever had on on an album. I mean, granted, a 24-track album, I think that's probably eight or nine songs right. that, that really that really stand out. Uh, just, you know, Nothing Else Matters can... can but other than that other than that uh this was a really good this is a really great live album for sure
1: yeah uh, and and here's the thing it's interesting that when you asked me about like what's your most influential album and i thought about it and like you know there are other albums and there are other artists it's not just metallica that i listen to but i thought of metallica because it is my favorite band and i thought of this album because it has a lot of great songs and it also was done there there were plenty of great songs made after 1993 so this album doesn't incorporate the best of metallica but this probably this album incorporates the the best of the classic metallica the original thrash unapologetic high energy just destroy everything in my path with my music metallica and this album's just so clearly articulates that now how does that translate to me why is that influ- influential to me i'm not a violent guy i don't want to thrash i don't want to destroy things and and you know
0: Oh come on! You're not a true metal fan if you don't want to destroy a building. I don't. I. I,
1: <laughs> I don't. I. I destroy my drum set. In, okay, in, yeah, fair enough. Fair you enough. know, I, I. I. I certainly. I certainly destroy drumsticks. But live ish binge and purge for me. Is the musical embodiment of my drive and my energy to do what I do unapologetically because that's what Metallica does here. They are unapologetic, they're high energy, and they're going to do whatever the fuck they want because that's what they do. And that's I I channel that into my essence in what I do in my daily life because that's that's how I want to live my life. So I think that's that is the reason why Live Binge and Purge is my most influential
0: album. Go check out this album if you could block out three hours and just sit and enjoy uh, just face-melting metal with playful interactions with fans and uh, just amazing songs. Again, it's it's. I think it's the longest album that, that I've reviewed to date. It is the first live album I've reviewed to date, and that's what I think made this— really, really interesting was that it wasn't necessarily a deep dive into what the, what the, the, the writer was feeling when they wrote this song, or it wasn't anything specifically about, you know, the situation surrounding the studio recording. You know, these were all songs that, that I, that I've known, like I have outside of the Black Album, I have all of these albums on my phone. I will jam to, to a lot of these songs a lot, especially, you know, pick pick and choose about half a dozen songs off of, you know, seek and destroy and hit the lights and jump in the fire, bleeding into master of puppets, bleeding into disposable heroes, bleeding into harvester of sorrow and blackened and, and the title track and justice for all that right. There is a great eight track album that would probably set me good for an hour. And what this band does in, I mean, this was spaced out over, I think three or four nights but what I can only imagine that like if this was one set, like if you're going to see Metallica one time and they played this set, now obviously there'd be more songs added over over the prior over the you know the past the, the 30 years almost after this album. But take that era of Metallica. Take those five albums and just imagine, you know, that's what I think makes this cool is is at the end of Sown Cold Crazy, the band walks off and you get to soak in the crowd. Just taking all of this in and think about it at the time. Kill 'em All, great album. Ride the Lightning, considered by some Metallica fans to be currently their best album. Master of Puppets, considered by many more Metallica fans to be their best album. And Justice for All, Crappy Mixing, still a great album. The Black Album, propelled them into the mainstream. That is so much. That's all five of those albums, I think, contain, you can make the argument, contains their best work. And that's an eight-year stretch from 1983 to 1991, and they played the best of that era at this show. Like that—that that blows my mind to me. That they—they they did all of this in their 20s. Yeah, like I did all of this between the ages of like 20 and 28. Like we're like we're in our mid 20s right now. Like we're not writing groundbreaking metal albums. Like that's crazy to me.
1: Yeah, I mean they. Just just understanding like the very basic beginning story of like James and Lars when they were in LA and they're like 18 years old and like they didn't want to do anything else but write metal music and, and play like that's all they wanted to do. There was nothing else in life and they stuck to their guns and they did whatever it took to to make it happen. And I, I mean... Metallica is one of the hardest working bands. Like they played their face off. Like the only reason they became popular was because they played live so much and it pays off. 5 albums, 8 8 to 10 years and
0: they are the kings of metal. It's it's incredible. Like I said go listen to this album. It's 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 definitely worth the listen. Uh, before we get out of here, Christian, I, I want to leave the floor to you, first of all, to plug what you do, plug the, the YouTube streams, especially, again, you know, at the time we're recording, which, by the way, I didn't even mention this yet. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Oh, yes. Happy uh, St. Patrick's <laughs> Day, man. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm not Irish, but I've been known to drink like one. Me neither. Um, it's <laughs> um, but yeah, like talk, talk a little bit one more time about what this album means to you, and then you know, plug plug all the cool projects, all the cool things you're working on. I want to leave this, these last couple minutes to you, sir?
1: Yeah, man. Well, thank you. I I forged my own path, and I do what I want to do. I run my own business. I only take orders from myself, and that is, um, I get an embodiment of that from Metallica, from live dish binge and purge. I take pride in my work, just like Metallica clearly takes pride in theirs. And yeah, I, I absolutely love what I do. So my live streams, what I do, and that's, and that's just one, one, uh, thing that I do uh, just for exposure, just for fun, just to connect with people to uh, hopefully provide value and information and insight uh, for for the audience members. But yeah, every other Wednesday, I go live on YouTube at 12 o'clock Eastern on my YouTube channel, Christian Gallick. And I talk about really anything that helps people get more exposure, who helps people step into the light of this is what it means to be in front of people. So I pride myself in video. I preach video. It's what I do, as you know, uh, as, as we're both video people and, you know, you're a little more on the audio side, but... My, my mission statement, my goal is to always get people to be seen, be recognized, be in front of people and show them truths them themselves truly. That is my true goal. And um, I'm working at it every single day. Half the time I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Half the time I feel like I'm on fire and what I'm doing is changing the world. I hope it is. But... One of the things that I love doing is helping people get started with videos and how to, you know, get past the the tech hurdle that so many people feel is like an impossible jump. So I, I actually have like a freebie that I, I put together for people because it's a very very commonly asked question of like, what do I need to get started doing video? What gear do I need? lights, microphone, camera. How do I do this? And I try, I try to make this as simple as possible. And I actually put together a gear list, a free, free gear list. Uh, well, the list is free, the gear isn't. Um, you have to go buy the gear, but it's pretty, it's pretty affordable. And you use your phone as the camera because your phone is a fantastic, is a fantastic camera. Use your phone I put the, you know, great light on there, great microphone, tripod, a whole system so that you can easily make video content or a podcast or really whatever you want from your phone so that you can just get, get it out there, put your content out there so that you can start being seen. And I put that list together. I call it, I call it since I mainly work with business people and entrepreneurs, I call it the Entrepreneur's Video Survival Pack, which uh, you can get at christiangolic.com and my name is with a K, it's K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-G-O-L-I-C-K, christiangolic.com and you can find out a lot of information, get the free gear list, the Entrepreneur's Video Survival Pack, to get started making videos and making good videos. So many people are making crap and put it on social.
0: I will say there uh, immediately when you said that title, I thought of like Ned's declassified school survival guide. So I was like, okay, Christians declassified. <laughs> like I was like, okay, yeah, there we go. I love it. The the uh, the declassified how to basically how to. I was just gonna go blunt, just be like kick ass, but that's my <laughs> okay. Idea. You know, it could be
1: kick ass. That's fine. <laughs> no, it's just, um, it's just real simple, like take out all the complexities you know let's just get right to the point make it look good make it look clean and crisp and that way the spotlight is on you like let's let's eliminate as much tech and overthinking as possible and let's just start doing
0: this has been a lot of fun. Please check out this guy's work. He is He's changing hes changing lives, and he's changing the world, and he's going to do great things. Uh, Christian Golick, this has been such a blast, man. Thank you so much for hanging out here on the Bangerhead podcast. Dude,
1: thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, one last uh, James Hetfield, yeah, for the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Metallica, yeah. That's I've practiced that way too much, but I'm
0: glad you appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you so much, dude. I really appreciate being on. A lot of cursing there in that episode, and I think a lot of it just came from the fact that uh, the title is is it has the word a in it. See, there's another edit. So uh, that that was so much fun sitting down with Christian. When when I asked him to be on the show, I didn't realize that like we were going to be going like you know, my recent stand with Simon Miller. You know, we reviewed Master of Puppets, and and I've never done I never had I hadn't I had not reviewed a live album yet for uh, for the show. We did that, and it was a it was a great such a great album. So check out live, sh- binge and purge wherever you listen to your music. It's definitely worth a listen. So. I have kind of a weird announcement, and something that I think, at the time I'm recording this, this this outro, kind of made the decision over the past couple of hours today, maybe even last night. Uh, this is going to be the last episode for a while, not permanently. I will come back to this. You have my word. I'm looking at transitioning the podcast, still keeping it in its audio format, but I'm looking at some other things, some other mediums to get my message of great music across. And I'm exploring some other avenues, I guess, is, is, is the right word. This isn't a case where I have something worked out, but this is this is definitely a case where I want to improve as a content creator, as a professional. And as much as I love doing the audio portion of this, a lot of my background also goes towards uh video production and I'm looking at ways that I can sort of transform this over to the video side of things. So who knows when it'll be coming back. It will be back. My, my bold prediction sometime, uh, in the next couple of months, but this will be, uh, the last like week to week episode for, uh, for a while. So um, for everyone who's listened so far, thank you so much. I've loved, I, I do love doing this. And again, I'm not leaving. I feel the need to, to reiterate that. I'm not going anywhere. This will be back in some way, shape, or form. I just need to figure out, you know, what to, how to make some changes. And uh, that's all I got. So we've done, I believe, around a little over 30 episodes so far. And I've got to interview friends and colleagues. Review great music, review new music, and it's been a blast. Um, we may we may release an episode soon reviewing the new Brockhampton album, which was just announced, Roadrunner, to the new single, Cut with Danny Brown. Fantastic. May do a review of that, and who knows what will be down the pipe. But some new great things are coming because I'm ready to... Do good, do well, do great things, and instead of talking about doing things, just go ahead and do them. It's like it's like the the Nike logo, the Nike um, motto, and it's like Shia LaBeouf said on that viral green screen thing, right? Just do it, and that's that's my intentions. Those are my intentions. So, thank you guys again so much for tuning in. I will be back, and we'll have some fun. Until the next time, my friends. Happy trails to you. Until we meet again. And thank you so much for listening to the Bang Your Head podcast.